important. That's not to say that sometimes preachers don't get into a bit of a mess and sometimes they do things they shouldn't. Uh, I think my friend Eugene May, you'll know Eugene, told me this, a story from the States. This, uh, the minister was going through a series on the minor prophets and uh, quite a lot of the minor prophets and time was going on, you know. And eventually he got to the book of Amos and he said, now we've arrived at the book of Amos, he said, and what shall we do with Amos? And this guy at the back said, he can have my seat, I'm going home. <laughs> so uh, we're not going to take that long, I hope, this morning. What I'm going to talk about, the title is this, it's on the way and it's already here. It's on the way and it's already here. What is on the way and already here? Trouble. Where I come from, the People's Republic of Wolverhampton, we spell it T-R-U-B-B-L-E. Trouble. Or trouble. Anyway, that's the subject. What is trouble? Well, I looked up the dictionary. Vexation, affliction, distress, worry, concern, pressure. But in fact, it doesn't really matter how you define trouble, does it? Or how you pronounce it, because we all know what trouble is by... Experience. Just want to make a couple of preliminary points. For the purpose of what I'm talking about this morning, I'm not including sickness in the definition of trouble. Because I believe the encouragement of God's word is to trust him for healing. Although there are mysteries in this area and challenges, I believe that's the, what the Bible says. So I'm not including sickness in the definition of trouble. And secondly, very obviously, there are degrees of trouble. It seems to me, as technology and affluence make life a bit more comfortable, it's almost like our irritability threshold declines, or maybe it's just me. So that if your laptop doesn't boot up quickly, you feel intensely stressed, you know? Or if you manage to lose your car keys, like I did on Friday, this is a major disaster. Not really, it's just an inconvenience, isn't it? Elizabeth Elliot is the widow of a man called Jim Elliott, who was a ministry in Ecuador. He was martyred in the 1950s, you may have heard of him. Anyway, Elizabeth Elliott said this, we're so accustomed to luxury that we regard traffic jams as hardship. It ruins our day if the air con quits or the waiter says they're out of cherry cheesecake. Now, she was writing to very prosperous American Christians, and we have to bear that in mind, but she has a point. I'm not talking about inconveniences, this morning I'm talking about trouble, real trouble. The second point is this, the world is full of trouble, absolutely full of it. The world is not as God made it, remember, and it's full of trouble. It can be national trouble. We only have to think of Syria or Libya or Afghanistan. Uh, one billion people survive on less than one dollar a day in our world. It can be trouble affecting communities. I'm old enough to remember the Abba Fan disaster in 1966, it's actually the 50th anniversary in October this year when a slag heap collapsed and 116 children and 28 adults died. Trouble affecting nations, trouble affecting communities, trouble affecting individuals. Every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of trafficking in our world. This is what Nicky Gumbel said, suffering and trouble come in an endless variety of forms and no human being is immune. As the Bible puts it, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. It can be loneliness or bereavement, unemployment, anxiety, depression, financial issues, family issues, 
I heard T.G. Jakes, if you've ever heard him preach uh, on one of the Gone Charles. I don't watch Christian TV a lot, but I quite like T.D. Jakes. And he was preaching and he said, he talked about a character in a film who was looking really beat up and low and the characters asked, what happened to you? And he said, life. Life happened to me. Now, of course, some non-Christians say, well, why doesn't God sort it out, all this trouble? I call this the kind of Superman concept of God. You know, Superman never makes any moral demands on you whatsoever. But whenever there's a problem, he arrives and sorts it out. And some non-Christians seem to think God's like that. Why is the trouble? Why doesn't he sort it out? Well, of course, part of the answer is human freedom. People can only ask the question, why doesn't God sort it out? Because they're free to ask it. But they can use that same freedom to disobey God and do all kinds of things they shouldn't. And the result is trouble. Some people believe that 95% of the suffering and trouble in the world is caused by people. Now, of course, God is going to intervene one day, isn't he? For the moment, he's waiting to give people an opportunity to believe on Jesus and be assured of a trouble-free eternity. But one day, he is going to intervene. But the world is full of trouble. And, of course, in our modern world, we're exposed to it constantly. It's in our face all the time. News travels incredibly quickly, especially bad news. I think I remember reading at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815, it, the, the victory of Wellington over Napoleon took weeks to reach some parts of Britain. I think the internet server must have not been working or something like that. But It took a long time, but not in our world. Now, because there's a lot of trouble in the world, the Bible talks about it a lot. So what I want to do this morning is talk about the Christian attitude or response to trouble, which I would categorise as realistic, encouraging and unique. Realistic, encouraging and unique. Now, uh, in my home church of Croydon, some people, they like to check what the preacher says, and actually it's always good to check what the preacher says. You should never believe something just because somebody stands up here and says it. And sometimes um, I type out some notes with the Bible references on, um, and I've done a few copies. If you want to check the Bible references, it enables me to go quicker. Uh, you can pick those up at the end. Um, I need to boost my retirement fund, so five pounds of Bible reference, all right? <laughs> That's fair enough, isn't it? Um, I charge them £10 a Bible reference in Croydon, so anyway. Christianity's attitude to trouble is realistic. Christians do not escape trouble. You may have heard the story, Mummy, Mummy, do all fairy tales begin once upon a time? No, darling, some begin. When I became a Christian, all my problems disappeared. It's not true. Christians do not escape real trouble. Now, when I spoke this in Croydon, I was able to say to them, I know this is true of some of you because I've talked with you. I can't say that this morning, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Every one of us here is experiencing some degree of some kind of trouble this morning, whether it's vexation, affliction, distress, worry, whatever it is, real trouble. There's a kind of sneaking longing in every human heart for a totally problem-free existence. And preachers have to beware of the temptation of promising that to people. It's just not true. It might make them popular in the short term, but it's just not true. Or to say to Christians, if you are in trouble or when you're in trouble, you will get out of it instantly. That's not true either. Listen to what Jesus said, John 16, 33. In the world you will have trouble. 
Acts 14, 22, Paul and Barnabas are speaking to people. These people have only been Christians for a few months, right? And it says Paul and Barnabas went to them and they strengthened them and encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now that doesn't mean that you get into God's kingdom by enduring trouble. What it means is that we are going to go through trouble before we enter the final manifestation of the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back. God never said the Christian life would be easy. In fact, in the New Testament, it compares the Christian life to a battlefield, not a bed of roses. In fact, Christians get more trouble than non-Christians. Here's a quote from Willie Burton, who was a great man, an apostle, a missionary to the Congo in the early years of the 20th century. The Christian does not get less trouble than the unsaved. He gets more. Why is that? Well, here's another quote for you from the Bible teacher Tim Keller. Christians will suffer not simply in the pains of the world that all people face, but specifically because they are brothers and sisters of Christ. This is the clear teaching of the Bible. Jesus said, you will be hated of all nations on account of my name. Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, sometimes to death. We haven't experienced that in our nation for quite a time. But maybe we will. In fact, the time of peace and lack of persecution we've experienced in the context of history is abnormal. Maybe it's going to change. I don't know. But that's what Paul said. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're going against the flow of the world, aren't we, as we follow Christ. And that's going to make for choppy waters. And of course, we have to bear in mind also we have a spiritual enemy who only seeks to steal, kill and destroy so trouble's inevitable for Christians. The normal troubles that apply to everybody in the world, but also special troubles because we are followers of Christ. And you don't have to go looking for trouble, do you? Has anybody ever woken up one morning and said, I really haven't had enough trouble lately, I must go and find some. No, because it just hits you, doesn't it? You don't have to go looking for it. It, just, it all seems to happen at once as well, doesn't it? Here's something else T.D. Jake said. In the movies, it's the hero against five opponents. And amazingly, they all t- attack one at a time. That's true, isn't it? But in life, all the issues seem to come at once. Somebody said, sometimes life is like a car wash and you're going through it on a bike. Have you ever been through times like that? <laughs> now, at this point, we have to admit that sometimes trouble is our own fault. We do daft things and trouble results. Galatians 6, 7. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. So if you do something daft and trouble results, well, it's your own fault, isn't it? Classic example in the Bible, in the New Testament, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He did something daft. In fact, he did more than something daft. He did a lot of daft things and he got into trouble. And in the, if that's us, we have to be honest and say, well, the answer is not to complain. I've got to say, Lord, I confess this. It's my fault. I repent of it. And we've got to stop doing it. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. That's God's promise. It's the prodigal son's father in Luke 15. If we say, yes, it's my fault. Nobody else's. I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. God welcomes us back with open arms. He forgives us. He doesn't bear grudges. Praise God. But often, with trouble in our lives, we can't point to 
anything, any act of our own which has actually caused the trouble. We've actually done the best we know how, but trouble hits us anyway. In fact, sometimes trouble becomes because we've been faithful and consistent. That's the persecution aspect again. That's the spiritual enemy aspect again. You know, if we're following Christ faithfully and consistently and giving him all we have, then probably we're going to be the subject of a memo in the, in the devil's headquarters. Oh, this person's starting to become fruitful. They're getting a bit too serious about this Christian faith. We'll bring some trouble. I would thoroughly recommend you to read the account of a king of Judah called Hezekiah. This is the only account of a king in the Old Testament which is given three times in the Bible. If God tells you something three times, he means you to pay attention to it. I'll put the references on the sheet if you want to find them. Now, Hezekiah, if you read the story of Hezekiah, he did a lot of good things. He repaired the temple, he restored temple worship, he destroyed idols. But listen to what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles. After all these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. The Bible actually points out that after he'd done all these faithful things and served God the best he could, he was attacked. It was because he was serving God faithfully that he was attacked. So as a Christian, you and I will not escape trouble, even if we've done nothing to deserve it. Crucial, crucial point, when trouble hits you, not if, when trouble hits you, crucial point, make sure you run to God, not from God. Basically, in my experience, people fall into one of those two camps. I've seen both over the years. Trouble hits, and the reaction of some people is they stop praying, they stop reading the Bible, they stop attending Christian meetings, church meetings, and house group, which is contrary to God's specific command in Hebrews. They drift. They discard what's important. They what's important. They despair. They say, "Oh, what's the point?" Wrong response. Run to God, not from God. Hezekiah is a great example of this, of what to do when trouble hits. If you read his story, Hezekiah had a bit of a wobble. He's being threatened by the Assyrians and he decides he'll try and pay them off. Principle there is don't try and pay the enemy off. It'll never work. Uh, Sennacherib took his money and attacked him anyway. So he had a wobble, but then he came good. And when the invasion happened, and this guy's facing death, Violent death, right? This is real trouble. What does he do? He went to God, not from God. In his case, that meant going into the temple because that's where the presence of God was. And also, he went to a man of faith who was the prophet Isaiah. That's another good bit of it. When you're going through trouble, make sure you associate with the right people. Associate with people who've got some faith. Associate with people who are in touch with God. Associate with people who encourage you. That's what Hezekiah did. Go to God and not from God. There's a great verse in Psalm 4. I think of it a lot. It's great when you're going through difficult times. Offer right sacrifices and trust the Lord. For us, right sacrifices are praying, reading the Bible, meeting with other Christians. Offer right sacrifices. It often feels like a sacrifice. You don't feel like doing it, but you offer right sacrifices and you trust the Lord. Go to God, not from God, and go to God first. That's what the Bible says. Go to God first. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, 
in whom there is no salvation. That's what the Bible says. In Psalm 18 it says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. That's a good principle. One of God's consistent complaints against his people in the Old Testament, as you will know, is they kept on going to human help in time of trouble. They would go to Egypt, they'd go to Samaria, they'd go to Assyria, they'd go anywhere but God. But the Bible's counsel is, when you hit trouble, go to God and go to him first. How blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought. Why should we go to God first? Because he's God, because he's divine, because he's sympathetic, because he's able to help and he's willing to help. It talks about that in Hebrews 4. Our sympathetic high priest who's been tempted and he knows what it's like to live down here. You know the life that Jesus had. He didn't have an easy life. He understands. So we can go to his throne of grace for mercy and help in time of need. The Christian faith is realistic about trouble and it's encouraging about trouble. We have some amazing promises in the Bible from God when we're going through trouble. Now, I'm going to go through these quickly. I hope it doesn't come over like a bit of a formula uh, or I make it sound too easy. It's not easy going through trouble. It's not. That's why we need all the people to encourage us and help us. And I've got to practice what I preach. You know, when I go through trouble, I've got to remember this. So I don't want to make it sound too easy, but there's some great promises God gives us. God says, I'm with you in trouble. I will never desert you. No, I will never forsake you. I think that's a great promise. When I went through a serious operation five years ago, I remember thinking about that as I was taken down to the operating theatre. I said, God, you're with me right now. You will never leave me or forsake me. It's a tremendous comfort. Great, the great God is with you. He says, when you pass through the waters, not if, I will be with you. Imagine that. The great God is with you. Your loving Heavenly Father is with you in trouble. That's encouraging. They say in the eye of a hurricane, there's a strange calm. And in the presence of God, there's peace. You know, God doesn't take away all our troubles. At least he doesn't take them away as quickly as we'd like. But he does promise us peace in the midst of them. God says, I'm with you in trouble. And he says, I'll protect you in trouble. I'll ensure that it doesn't overwhelm you. There are times in our lives when we think, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. There's problems on every hand. But God says, no, I will not let it overwhelm you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. We know what it says in 1 Corinthians, that God will not allow you to be tested beyond what you can bear. He'll make a way of escape. So when you're really going through trouble and you're thinking, oh God, I can't go on any longer, start looking for the way of escape. That's God made, God's made for you. God's with you in trouble. He'll ensure trouble doesn't overwhelm you and he'll help you in trouble. Psalm 46, our God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Listen to this quote from Max Lucado. Jesus was angry enough to purge the temple, distraught enough to weep in public, fun-loving enough to be called a drunkard, winsome enough to attract kids, 
Poor enough to borrow a coin for a sermon illustration. Radical enough to get kicked out of town. Responsible enough to care for his mother. Tempted enough to know the smell of Satan. And anxious enough to sweat blood. So why would Jesus endure earth's toughest pains? So you'd know without a doubt that he is able to run to the cry of those who are being tested. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus hears your cry. That's amazing, isn't it? There's so many people in the world, they don't know we exist. And if they did know we existed, they wouldn't care. We'd never get through the door. But I can come to my God any time. Hallelujah. And say, God, I'm in a mess. Please help. He hears my cry. He's with us in trouble. He'll ensure it doesn't overwhelm us. He'll help us in trouble and he'll deliver us from trouble. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honour me. Paul said, the persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now that doesn't mean he'll always deliver you when you want. I would like God to deliver me out of trouble instantly, every time, to be honest. But it doesn't happen like that, is it? Does it? Sometimes, this is another quote by Willie Burton, sometimes it's not in our best interests that we should be freed from a difficulty. And you can positively confess all you like. The timing of your deliverance is in the hands of God. So we just have to accept that. He will deliver us, but the timing is God. But we mustn't rule out the possibility of miraculous deliverance either, because it, it can happen and it does happen. Paul was put in prison a number of times, but it tells us in Acts 16, he was miraculously set free. So if I'm going through a real mess and I'm in real trouble, I'm not ruling out God can miraculously and instantly set me free. But if he chooses not to do that, okay, the other promises come into play. I will bring you through. So the Christian attitude to trouble is realistic. I like that. I don't want a faith that is unrealistic. I don't want a faith that can't survive in the real world or pretends the real world doesn't exist. It's realistic. The world's full of trouble and you and I are not going to avoid it as Christians. But it's encouraging. God's with us. He's protecting us. He's looking after us. He's promised to keep us and deliver us. If we go to him, the last thing about trouble is the Christian attitude of trouble is unique because he doesn't see trouble as entirely negative. Every godly man and woman I've ever read about or read has said the same thing. It's their unanimous testimony that God teaches you and I things through trouble that he can't teach us any other way. Things about himself and things about us. T.D. Jakes again. Good sailors are made by stormy seas. Good sailors are made by stormy seas. Now, I really wish it was different to that. I wish God could bring me to maturity in some miraculous way without going through troubles and tests, but history and the Bible says no. God never wastes an experience. Listen to this. This is a quote from Word for Today. Some of you might know that. God never wastes an experience, never. He uses what you've been through or are going through to develop you into the person he intended you to be. For example, Moses grew up in a foster home. His 40 years in a palace prepared him to deal with Pharaoh, but his 40 years in the desert tending sheep taught him to identify with hurting people 
and prepared him to lead God's people through the wilderness to their destiny. Not one part of that experience was wasted. But when he was looking after sheep for 40 years, I imagine Moses was thinking, well, this is it. Missed it. You know, some, well, in Psalm 55, David says, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Have you ever felt like that? I have. Everybody feels like that sometimes. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and I'd be at rest. It's quite encouraging that David, a man after God's own heart, said that. If you look at the context in Psalm 55, the context is trouble. But the problem is that wherever you go, you're there. You, you know, you usually take your problems with you. Flying away in the face of difficulty isn't the answer. I'm sure Phil's had this experience. I've talked to a number of people over the years. They're going through tough times and their answer is to go somewhere else. I had one guy, he was going through a very, very tough time. His answer was to go and get a job in New York. I said, listen, you're still you in New York, you know. It's a fallacy. It's the flight thing. Don't. Flying away isn't the answer. It's often impossible and it wouldn't be good for us anyway. Don't give up, go through. That's what the Bible says. Don't give up, go through. And then when we go through trouble, one of the ways God works in our lives to mature us is we start to realise that we're soldiers in the army of God. We learn to endure, to stand, to resist and to fight. All the Bible references are on the sheet if you want. It's all New Testament. We learn to enforce Christ's victory in our situation, which is a very good lesson. You see, trouble shapes our character like nothing else does. Now, again, I wish it was different. I wish God could make me like Jesus without any trouble or pain at all. But, you know, it's not the way it happens. The clear teaching of Scripture is that it's trouble that shapes our character. And God's more interested in your character and my character than anything else. Sometimes it's a miracle of deliverance. We shouldn't rule that out. But more often, God does the miracle in you. There are several passages which I've put on the sheet. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. If you unpack that, you find that the word perseverance really means single-mindedness. In other words, when you're in trouble... You tend to focus on God and you review your priorities a bit. You get single-minded. And that single-minded produces proven character or testedness is the real meaning of the word. It's a bit like a football team who've been through the playoffs. They've got an advantage over a team who's never been through the playoffs because they've been there. They've experienced it. They know what it's like. They've been tested. So single-mindedness leads to testedness. And that leads to hope because in trouble, you're driven back to God, who is the source of true hope, and you realise all the other sources of hope you thought you had aren't really working. And then as you focus on God and who he is and what he's promised and how many times he's brought millions of people over history through trouble and you read about it and you think about it and as you focus on him and you trust him more, then lots of people have testified. That's when they feel the love of God in a particular way in their hearts. Romans 8.28 is a scripture which we can use far too glibly. In all things, God works together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can use that too glibly. We need to be careful of that. But it's still scripture and it's still true. 
It doesn't say all things are good, because that's patently ridiculous. And it doesn't say all things work together for good themselves either, because they don't. What it says is God works all things for good. That's a great encouragement. It means as I'm going through troubles and difficulties, I can say legitimately, God, these troubles and difficulties, you know all about them, and they're actually part of your loving purpose for my life. You're working good out of this. But it's very significant that the verse uses the word love. God works all things together for good to those who love God. Our reaction to adversity is one of the clearest signs as to whether we love God or not. Tim Keller, if you love God for who he is in himself, you endure difficulty. But if you're using God for what he gives you, you bail out when suffering comes. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? But I reckon it's true. I can think of examples at Croydon, I'm sure Phil can, of people, their reaction to real trouble was totally different. I'm thinking of a case right now. It was real trouble. I won't go into the details. And affecting the the wife in a family, the husband's reaction was to leave her and to leave Christ. Turned his back on the whole thing. Other people, when they go through trouble, they love God. They say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking with you, Lord. Listen to this. Word for today again. We're drawn to a close. You'll be glad to hear. Your trouble's nearly over. Hallelujah. <laughs> Imagine a beautiful china teacup saying, I wasn't always like this. There was a time when I was just a cold, hard lump of clay. One day the potter picked me up and said, I could do something with this. Then he started to put pressure on me and change my shape. I said, what are you doing? That hurts. Stop. But he said, not yet. Then he put me on a wheel and began to spin me around and around until I shouted, let me off. He replied, not yet. Then he shaped me into a cup, put me in a hot oven. I cried, let me out of here, I'm suffocating. But he looked at me and said, not yet. When he took me out, I thought his work on me was over. Then he started to paint me. I couldn't believe what he did next. He put me back in the oven and I said, I can't stand this, please let me out. But he said, not yet. Finally, he took me out of the oven and set me on a shelf where I thought he'd forgotten me. Then one day he took me off the shelf and held me up before a mirror. I couldn't believe my eyes. I had become a beautiful teacup that everyone wants to buy. So there are things going on in your life today that you don't understand. When you finally get to the place God wants you to be, you'll realise he's been making you into a vessel he could use, bless, and use to bless others. Amen. Amen. Easier for me to speak it and preach it. Right? I've got to do it. When I hit trouble. I found a quote by Spurgeon. There's a website about Spurgeon that's got 2,700 of his quotes. You know Spurgeon, the famous Victorian preacher. If you've got 2,700 quotes on a website over 100 years after you die, you've got some anointing, all right? This is, what he, this is a remarkable quote. I bear my witness that the worst days I've ever had have turned out to be my best days. And when God has seemed most cruel to me, he has then been most kind. If there is anything in this world for which I would bless him more than for anything else, it is for pain and affliction. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. He had a great way with a phrase. Last point. The Bible makes it clear that we will suffer 
more than non-Christians, specifically because of our faith in Christ. We will have more trouble than non-believers, not less. But the Bible also says, the greater your suffering for Christ in this life, the greater the glory you will experience in eternity. It's very clear about that. Now, to me, this is a pretty well a missing note in our 21st century Christianity. Mostly in our 21st century Christianity, we focus on what God will do for you now and how to get him to do it. Now, there's some truth in that, but there's a lot more than that. There's going to be no trouble for us in eternity. We're going to enjoy a troublefully free, glorious existence forever. We have a great resource when we experience trouble, which is God. God. God who loves us. God who is our Heavenly Father. God who understands. God who you can talk to 24-7. There's no church leader you can talk to 24-7, and please don't try. Amen. But there isn't. But you can talk to God anytime. And you can say, Jesus, I'm going through it, and it's awful. And Jesus will understand. More than that, he's able and willing to help. So we have a tremendous resource as Christians, which is God. But we have another resource as Christians. We have each other. And we can support one another and encourage one another and sympathise with one another and pray for one another. And we should, because trouble is not pleasant and it's tough to go through it. You know what I'm talking about. One of the great blessings of belonging to a local church and consistently meeting is that when you're going through trouble, there are people who can come alongside you and pray for you and and say, yeah, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you, I'll encourage you in God. One of the greatest blessings of belonging to a local church. Church leaders need that. You know, sometimes they'll appear on a pedestal somewhere. No, they're flesh and blood, they need people to encourage them. So I thought it would be good to finish by just saying... If you want us to pray for you, we would be very happy to do it. Because I guarantee everybody here is going through some kind of trouble. Absolutely. Varying degrees of severity, no doubt, but some of you are going through real trouble. I'm sure of it. So, wouldn't it be good if we just supported one another and encouraged one another and prayed for one another? Now, as we pray in the name of Jesus... God might miraculously change the situation. Absolutely. But even if he doesn't, I believe as we pray for one another in the name of Jesus, the life of God flows into our spirit. The encouragement of the Holy Spirit comes on us. We feel strengthened inside in our hearts. We probably feel physically better. We get our eyes on God because we've had our eyes on the problems too long. And as we get our eyes on God, the Bible says his perfect peace fills our heart because we realise, no matter what I'm going through, Lord, you can handle this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Does that sound all right? Okay. Now, Phil, I want to defer to you. I asked if it was all right if we pray for people, how we do it. Perhaps you could do that because space is a little bit limited. But do you want to lead us in that? Yeah, if you like. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pray for one another. Um, 
I want to just share this little testimony. It's not a footnote to the sermon because the sermon was brilliant and God's brought us to this place. Daphne had a little operation on Monday. I took her, it was just a day at the hospital. I took her up there at uh, half past seven in the morning and as we went into the ward where they were going to prepare her, this lady, uh, she was one of the nurses, a black nurse, she was smiling at me. And, you know, one might expect nurses to smile at you to make you feel comfortable. And then uh, she came to the cubicle and she said, um, I know you. And I'm, you know, you tear through your brain to think, who is this woman who says she knows me? And um, I said, oh, I really am sorry. I said, I am a pastor and perhaps I've seen you in a church. And uh, she says, we went together on mission in Israel last year. <laughs> okay, now shame on me. I do apologise for that. And we had good conversations. It was just out of the context, you understand? It was like, I didn't expect that. What a wonderful provision of God. Daphne is a little bit of a nervous person sometimes. And we would all be a little bit nervous going to hospital and facing an operation. But God had provided this wonderful christian nurse to be with her who knew me and she stayed with her all day and she prayed with her before she went down and daphne testifies to how wonderful god is mm. he's wonderful he's wonderful so even in the troubles that we're talking about in your lives god is watching sometimes he's watching and waiting to respond but we don't call him into the situation so let's do that this morning i want someone to pray for me in respect to the troubles that are coming. I do believe what you said. They're on their way. And so I want to be ready. I want to be dependent on the Lord. I want to be mm. looking to him. I don't want to lose it. I want to be solid and I want to be dependent on you and you dependent on me. So we're all going to pray for one another. If you haven't got a problem, the person with you is going to pray about the problem that's coming, that you will be steadfast in that situation. If you want to share a problem that you do have, uh, share that and let them just pray the peace of God into that situation. So link up with someone. No one runs out at this stage, please. We've been a family long enough. Grab hold of someone, maybe not your husband or wife or, or someone close like that, but grab hold of someone. Uh, so you two, oh, you've got a problem because he won't understand the word you're saying. So you can stay with him. Okay, unless you've got a, a language problem, just pray, pray, listen. If there's a problem to share, if, if the person says, I haven't got any big problem now, just pray for them that they, when it does come, that they will run to God and that we've learned something from the word of God this morning. Let's, let's do that now together. That's it. No one exempt. Everyone praying for someone. Grab hold of someone. Uh, husbands preferably not wives move move just across to someone that's it that's it let's all get involved that's it
So, um, as much as um, as, as much as I don't, I don't want to interrupt prayer, I am. <laughs> Worship band, can we can we have another song? That's brilliant. What what a um, a wonderful way to um, to spend time after the sermon. And um, should should we just give our appreciation to Ian because he's given us a fantastic word this morning? Let's. Uh,